Welcome to another Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand on the bye week. Kind of like a John Gruden tone. Access Vikings podcast, man. Access <laughs> Vikings podcast, got, man. Got, got that podcast. I don't know how to player, do it. man. I can't do. Yeah, you do a much better John Gruden than I do. I'm no Derek Wetmore, but I did. It'll suffice. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, we're going to take stock of the Vikings at the bye week without John Gruden present with us. Um, talk some strengths and weaknesses of this team, where they're at at five and one, how nobody can really agree on how good this team is. Uh, when you look at the, whether it's the power rankings of the uh, commentators at ESPN or PFT or the quote unquote, you know, smart people at, at PFF and football outsiders who actually have the data and crunch all the numbers and try to give us the logical reasoning behind things. Nobody can agree on how good this five and one Vikings team is. So we'll also discuss what this team needs to do and how they need to do it to change and align some of this narrative about them. Um, and then Ben also wrote something for startribune.com about the Viking situation as the trade deadline approaches. That's always a topic of discussion uh, especially when you got a team here that might be able to make a push for something come January uh, and maybe even February if, if they're so lucky. Um, but Ben, let's start with what you were just talking about before we hit record. You were saying that PFF's got the Vikings at the third best team in the NFL. And I was just noticing that Football Outsiders has them at like 17th in DVOA in their metric for how good a team is on any given play and situation. So not even the smart people can figure out how good the Vikings are. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, a pro football focuses grades, I believe. Yeah. Have them collectively like third now is the, the whole equal to the sum of the parts, you know, that's a, probably a, a different question, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because the record obviously is great. The, spot they're in in the division is like nobody else in the NFL. I mean, they have the only two game lead in their division in the NFL right now. So all of that would say, this is a good team. Um, the people they've beaten, uh, the quarterbacks they've faced, the quarterbacks they've not faced in some cases would tell you that there's still something there to be desired, but, and we, we got hints of this, I think from Cousins and a couple different times, this has been a team in the past, and we've talked about it, that, the, you know, two years ago, they're one and five at the bye. They just lose to a Falcons team that had fired everybody. And that's when we got Rick Spielman talking about how, um, you know, Cam Smith wasn't able to play, and that really set us back. Um, yes, that was actually a thing that he said. Um, and then last year, they're one and three, and Mike Zimmer is saying, you guys look at stats too much. Uh, shout out pro football focus, shout out football outsiders. Uh, we're actually a good team. Kevin Stefanski told me so. So um, this is a different spot. You'd much rather be here and much rather able to finish games, which that I think is the biggest difference. They've been able to finish when they could not do it last year. So is there randomness to that? Probably. Yeah. I mean, they had, you know, a couple of fumbles on Sunday that um, they were living right in terms of how the ball bounced and they've been awfully healthy. There's, is there randomness to that? Yeah, probably. But the fact they've been able to finish, I think is a big deal because that's the reason I think in part that Kevin O'Connell is here. If they could finish games last year, they would have made the playoffs and Mike Zimmer probably is still the coach. So 
Um, that, that to me is the biggest difference. And that's probably the thing. If, if anything, they can hang their hat on it at the buy here. Yeah. Mike, are you more inclined to believe the, uh, ESPN and other power rankings that got the Vikings up in the top five, or is the truth somewhere in the middle between five and, and 17? I think it's definitely between five and 17 at this point. I mean, I know their record says they're five and one in, in, in the modern NFL, however you want to define that, like there is such a, a, a thin margin that being able to finish is a big deal. But you look at a team like the Eagles, you, just, you watch the Eagles play and they, they look the part. They look like a team that is sharp. They look like a team that, you know, not doesn't just finish games, but starts games. And, you know, not coincidentally, that's the only Vikings loss this season. Um, you just watch the Vikings play and there's just, there's too many moments in a game where, one side of the ball or the other is, is having a, a tremendous lull. And we saw that this past week, they had 10, three and outs. Like you shouldn't probably be, probably shouldn't be able to win a game when you have 10, three and outs, when you're outgained essentially two to one in the game. Um, and so I'm kind of stuck in this spot where it's like, you're, you're in this, in this space between what the record tells you and, and the process that it took to get there and how it doesn't ultimately matter how you got to get, how you got to five and one, but how you got to five and one does tell you a little something about, should you expect to go five and one in the next six games? I don't think they're going to go five and one in the next six games. If they keep playing like this, I think they're certainly on track to be a, a winning team this year to win 10 games, but I, I don't, I'm not, I haven't seen enough evidence of them being a really good team yet. I think they're, they're a team that that's, that's made its own luck to a certain degree, but has also, you know, some with some of these turnovers, with some of when the turnovers are happening, some of that just doesn't necessarily feel sustainable to me in the way that that would make you think, yeah, this is a 12 or 13 win team. I just don't see that yet. They, uh, I think Kevin O'Connell got asked yesterday if they've made their own luck, uh, like Billy Zane and Titanic, Dwight Schrute's hero. Uh, he did not seem to like that question very much yesterday about making their own luck or, or being charmed or whatever it, it is. I mean, I, I think there's, they've made their own confidence. I think I would say that. And, you know, what does that count for in the, in the long run? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of hard to quantify players. I think do feel like it counts for something. We we've Andrew and I have both heard it. I think we've, and I certainly heard it Sunday in the locker room. Um, there is a feeling that this is different and that does count now. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you carry that forward? How do you sustain that? I, I don't, I don't know that we can quite put a, a finger on it or quantify it, but I do think, and we've seen it before where a team gets hot and they start to believe it. And that stuff starts to feed on itself. I think 2017 was a lot of that. They got hot and things broke their way. I mean, we've talked about the horseshoe a little bit that year and, and uh, that can, that can take you a long way. I think 2003 and I think Mark Craig's writing about that for later this week. That's the inverse. That's the cautionary tale where they start hot. Everything's going their way. Brian Williams, Brian Russell are having career years. They're picking off passes like crazy. And they look like they're going to run away with the division. And then that, of course, ends with Josh McCown and, and Nate Poole in Arizona. Um, so, the, you know, this this stuff can – the luck can run out at some point. But I I do think a team that starts to believe it's going somewhere – carries a little bit of that into each week. And uh, if that's going to take them anywhere, that that may be the thing that kind of provides the, the fuel to do it. 
Yeah, I do believe there is something to to that, right? That when when the pressure moments get there, the, the final two minutes of the first half or regulation, um, they are playing differently on offense and defense. They're making plays and and calm. They're calmly making plays in pressure situations that you just didn't see them do in the past. And whether it's players like Cam Dantzler who have been completely torched in those spots in the past and then are making those plays this year. Um, I think there's something to that and, and kind of the nature that O'Connell set through. And you hear players talk about whether it's just going through issues like Justin Jefferson having a couple bad games and saying that, you know, this time, if he, if that would have happened his rookie year, he's on the field pointing at Kirk saying, throw the ball. Whereas this year he's reacting a little bit differently to it, at least for now. So I, I think there's something to the, the locker room being galvanized a little bit under Kevin O'Connell right now, even though they've had their, their issues. Um, so with that said, Ben, what do they need to fix? You think most, if that luck does run out, let's say that, Let's say that that uh, Amir Smith Marset, who's now an ex uh, Chicago Bear, isn't uh, getting that ball ripped out at the end of that game. They're, the Bears are marching down the field on them, and then who knows what happens? Yeah. So there's there's obviously still plenty of things they have to clean up. Yeah, I mean they they've really closed two of these games. Or not closed, but had big turning points in the fourth quarter certainly closed the game against Chicago but had a big one on Sunday by stripping the ball away from a receiver in the middle of the field and then having it in Cam Dancer's case just being able to make off with it and on Sunday it, it bounced right to where they needed it to to recover it you can't count on those things I, I think the thing that you will have to do is just be more consistent on offense I mean everything would suggest that anywhere on the, if there's anywhere on this team that has enough equity to say we can do this consistently, it should be an offense with an 11th year quarterback with one of the best, I don't know where you'd rank him, but if there's a dinner table of the best receivers of the NFL and it's a reservation for four, uh, he's at the table. I mean, you're, you've got him, you've got Adam Thielen, who is still productive. You have Dalvin Cook, who's obviously still very productive. You have an offensive line, I think, that is playing better. Uh, there is enough there. that, And you have a, a, a head coach that was the offensive coordinator for the reigning Super Bowl champions. So, they're, yes, they have things to figure out. Yes, they still are trying to learn the nuances of the system. But it, this is not a group that is made up of young players. This is a group of players that has plenty of experience and has plenty of institutional knowledge of how to do it. So I think you need to see them get to a point where they can finish drives consistently. They've done that the last two weeks, but that's been a problem a lot of the year. And then Sunday they finished the drives they had, but they had a lot of three and outs. You have to sustain more drives, turn more threes into sevens, get to the point where this should be a team that can score into the thirties without a whole lot of trouble. And we've, you know, we've seen scoring probably down around the league, which is a, a question probably for another time, but, they, I think, as the season goes on, should be able to hang more points on more teams. And that's probably the thing that will help them the most. Yeah, Mike, I want to I want to ask you the same thing. But because Ben brought up the offense, I want to run this by um, him because I, I was talking to you, Mike, before the podcast about it. The Vikings have been outscored 33 to six in the third quarter. Yeah, third quarter has been really bad. How did they have six points in the third quarter? I mean, the defense is the thing throughout the game, right? About just the ebbs and flows, but like it's consistent now that they have come out of halftime and not been able to put up points, which to me is it's interesting about a first year head coach. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. So it's two field goals, right? Um, uh, Green, Green Bay and one against the Saints. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say Saints and Packers, I think, are the two. Um, yeah, I mean, that that has been very strange, especially for a team that likes to defer, as most teams do now. Uh, a team that likes to defer sometimes when it gets the ball or when it wins a coin toss. And if you're going to do that, you're probably counting on, we should be able to come out of halftime and make something of it. So, yeah, it is strange that that has been such an issue. And I asked O'Connell yesterday, how are you feeling as a play caller? And he said, you know, I've still got some things to to learn. And I, some of it for him is everybody, and he said this, everybody kind of expects go score every single time down the field, which is what you want. But he's kind of learning that play calls can affect the overall team and not just the offense. If you, if you call something that blows up, it's going to affect the defense too. So he's still, I, he talked about kind of trying to find that balance between being the play caller on offense and being the guy that sets the tone for the entire team. And, and you kind of have to wear a couple different hats there, but yeah, it, it is very strange that they have not been able to come out of halftime and be better. And, and is, is that needing a better script coming out of the half? Is it, better execution you know I, I think we've seen teams adjust to Justin Jefferson in the second half where you, you maybe see different coverages that they haven't always had answers for um, I, I think when they've gotten double teams or have gotten you know a safety over the top if he's in man coverage I don't know that they've had a great answer for that I think they need their second and third receivers to be better at getting separation um, but some of this may come down to play calling as well. It may just be O'Connell needing to find a little bit more of an answer in what he calls. And, and maybe I, you know, this is uh, sounds like a, a long time listener, first time caller from Northern Kentucky, but maybe they need to commit to the run a little more. Uh, they have not done a lot of that. And uh, you know, maybe that would, would help at least get them into a little more of a rhythm and make it a little easier to work if they can execute it. Mike, yeah, do you have any thoughts on the offense or just in general, the, the question that started all off of like, what do they need to do to, uh, you know, where do they need to get better for if and when that luck runs out, quote unquote, uh, from that five and one start? I, I definitely think it's the offense because we expected that to be the strength of the team this year. Um, we had every reason to believe that because that's where a lot of the investment has been in past years, whether we're talking about draft picks on the offensive line, whether we're talking about paying Kirk Cousins, paying Dalvin Cook, you know, drafting Justin Jefferson and having that work out, you know, keeping Adam Thielen in the mix when you could have potentially said, you know, he's, he's gotten to a certain age, we're going to move on from that. So I think they, they definitely need more, more from that side of the ball. And what, we're, what I'm still curious to see is, do they legitimately have another gear that they're just now reaching yet because of unfamiliarity, because of, you know, this is still a new system? Or is this, is this offense just not the right, kind of blend for the personnel they have. And is this is going to be kind of a slog or a struggle for, you know, parts of the end games. It's not like it's been terrible. I would say that they've, they've been, I think there was a stat that in terms of like, not, not talking about the dolphins game, but the three games before that, I feel like they were in terms of, I think there's like a stat of like win rate or something like that in terms of not talking about the offensive line, but in terms of like productive plays, they were like number one in the whole league in that three game stretch when it came to like, you want to get like, I don't know, at least 40% of the yards on a certain down, things like that. I, I can't remember what the stat 40% is. 40% on first and like 60 or 70% by second down. 
and obviously and under by third. A first down by third down. Yeah. yeah. And they were, you know, so they were, a lot of that was predicated on, you know, converting a lot of third and twos, third and threes, especially in that, uh, you know, in that win over Chicago where they did have the ball so much, but you know, those situations also create some thin margins sometimes because, you know, third and three becomes fourth and three pretty quick. If there's a batted pass, if, you know, someone just doesn't get open, things like that. So they definitely need to become more efficient there. And I think, you know, the person driving that is Kirk Cousins. He's having, aside from the three game-winning drives, aside from the fourth quarter comebacks, the five-and-one record, which we've all been asking him to do to win games, he's doing that. Well, he's 59-59-2 and two in his career coming into this season. Yeah, he's five-and-one now, so that part of it is good. Every other statistic for him is down from where it has yes. been. Passer rating, total QBR. Um, and again, some of that... And some of that is down league wide, but, you know, yards per attempt, yards per completion, like maybe some of that is just the offense that Kevin O'Connell's running. They're, they're having more of these eight to 10 yard completions instead of trying to you know push the ball down the field, which leads to sacks, things like that. Maybe they're protecting him in a certain way, but they're not getting enough out of the offense. And consistently, I don't think they're getting enough out of the passing game that starts with Kirk Cousins. I, I think, I mean, we've seen some of this league wide. I, there has been and anybody that plays fantasy football and kind of saw all the scores really low on Sunday. Not that fantasy football is a great indicator of, of much of anything, but it, I think you've probably noticed it in the sense that that's some people's window into these kinds of trends. There has been the, the scoring has been down and the productivity league wide has been down a little bit. And I think what you're seeing is the Fangio, uh, Brandon Staley, uh, that that defense has gotten so popular league wide, and that is built on. I mean, we the Vikings run it, the Packers run it, their teams all over the league run this. It's built on, I'm not going to give you plays over the top. If you're going to beat me, you are going to have to go 80 yards in nine or 10 plays and pick your way down the field and stay patient and execute some of the throws over layers of our defense, which sometimes are harder for quarterbacks to make, especially young quarterbacks, than just take a seven-step drop and fling it deep. That That is not as tough of a throw for an, a quarterback with an NFL arm as I need to take a five-step drop. There's a linebacker dropping in his own coverage. There's a safety right over the top. I have to fit it in here and give my receiver a spot to catch it and not get killed. I mean, that that is a tougher throw. So – that is what this scheme forces you to do in some cases. So I, I think there's some of that that we're seeing on a league-wide level. Um, certainly the Vikings have seen a fair amount of that, and I think we'll continue to see a, a fair amount of that. But, uh, you know, that that's probably something to keep an eye on just overall. I do wonder, um, and we'll probably get into the trade deadline stuff and how they clear cap space. This is a bit of a hot take, but, you know, it's a bye week. It's, Probably tis the season for these things. Um, do you guys feel like they need another receiver? And if they were to sign one, this is going to be the hottest take I have here. Um, there is one on the market that has experience with both Kevin O'Connell and familiar familiarity with Justin Jefferson. Uh, he is getting healthy fairly soon and would come in and know the offense. Um, is that worth considering specifically and is a receiver if it's not him uh because that brings its own set of problems 
Um, is a receiver worth considering in a general sense? Should they free OBJ, Mike? I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I think, you know, Ben, like, like Ben wrote they're they've only got less than a million in cap space. So obviously that would necessitate some sort of other financial commitments down the road, which they have plenty of those already on the books. But if we're just talking about, <laughs> if we're just talking about pure football need, uh, yeah, another pass catcher. I don't know if it necessarily has to be a wide receiver, a, a, a tight end, like some, somebody who, you can get the ball to, and they can make a play. Like, I just don't feel like Irv Smith is there yet. I feel like he's had some moments, but he's not been this, like, you know, top five, top 10 game-changing tight end. They don't have one of those. I don't think Adam Thielen is a 1A anymore. He's definitely a 2, and, you know, as good as he is in the red zone, um, I feel like there was a, a point in the broadcast where I think was it O'Connell was, like, saying, like, guys got to get open. Like, they, they're yeah. not getting – they're not getting open. I don't think Adam Thielen's getting a lot of separation from his guy these days. And that next gen stats know, would concur with that. So someone like someone who can either stretch the field or take some of the pressure off of things certainly would be helpful. And I guess the question they need to ask themselves is how good do they think they are? Is that piece worth it this year? And I guess when you get to five and one at the bye, and then you've got two weeks to think about it before the trade deadline, maybe there is something to, to, to consider there, but yeah, I think they could use another, as strange as it is to say that going into the season, I think they probably could use and maybe do need another playmaker on offense. This wouldn't be, this wouldn't be sports talk unless we had the contrarian argument. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think they need it. Um, and I'm not saying that facetiously just to, just to make an argument. I really don't because I think we're overreacting to one game against Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, who are two really good corners who didn't play very well in the season leading up to it. At least if you listen to Vikings coaches, because when I, um, I'd asked Wes Phillips leading up to that game about the Dolphins secondary and said, how much of a challenge is that? And he said, well, really, it's the front. The front puts odd pressures at you and tries to force you into short throws, and those defenders just jump the throws. Well, that's not a real ringing endorsement of how hard the secondary was. Right. And then all of a sudden, yeah. we're on the back end of the games against a secondary that really hadn't played that well outside of a Buffalo game that they still gave up like 600 yards in. Miami did. And so I think that... I think the Dolphins just showed up. I think they showed up to play, and I think they got the better of them at times, especially Thielen and K.J. Osborne. And I, I, and really the only time Jefferson got free was that second drive where they had a huge coverage bust, I think, where the Dolphins just sprang them loose. Um, and so I, Kirk wasn't putting up many contested grabs like he has at least before in this offense. Um, I don't think they need another receiver so much. I, I don't know. I, that, that's not the spot that I would allocate money if I were them. I, I think they still got talent there. And for what Thielen loses in age athletically, I think he's, we know he's more than skilled to make up for in terms of going up to get contested catches and um, body people out and, and obviously win in the red zone. Um, I think OBJ would be great. I think he's probably still pretty good, right? But I just yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if they need him. Because I think that Dolphins game is going to be, when we look back on it, I think that Dolphins game might be an anomaly in terms of these guys not getting open. Well, yeah, I, I think you've got some good points there. My question is, is there enough evidence in, in the whole body of work so far that they've got other guys beyond Justin Jefferson that are getting separation? I That's, that's my question with Thielen to some degree is, is he getting open? enough that you have a quarter i mean because the other piece of this is you have a quarterback that does not love throwing contested balls and it, not that any quarterback 
probably does, but Cousins tends to err on the side of not doing that. So, um, you know, that's that's the thing that I wonder about a little bit. And, and adding OBJ to that room, um, and maybe it's not OBJ. I mean, the the the, the Panthers are trying to trade people. Um, you know, the Steelers, I think there's talk of Chase Claypool possibly going out of there. There may be other ways to solve the problem. I I just, I mean, from from film stuff that you've watched, um, do you feel like Thielen is getting enough separation to feel like this is fine? I think he is against other secondaries. Now, um, you have other examples, though, like the Lions game, week three. He wasn't necessarily getting that open, but he was destroying that corner whose name I can't remember because he was putting moves on him left and right and forcing that guy to grab him. And he got all those penalties drawn. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And the ball was getting thrown his way, which was the difference. Whereas this time Kirk was just kind of not really wanting to force it too much into those windows or those situations. And so I, I don't know. I don't think that's Adam's game. I don't think it's really ever been his game too much. Maybe in 2017, 18, 19, he could do that. But we're now three years removed from that. And I think Adam's game has always just been, you got to throw it up there and he's going to go over a Saints defensive back and catch it around his helmet as we've seen him do it. So I think that's what they got to lean into with Adam and kind of trust him more in those one-on-one spots. And and look, there's going to be highlights and lowlights. I saw it from the Dolphins game where, you know, they'll show a third down where Adam's getting draped in coverage and he's not getting open. It's like, okay, yeah, it was a bad rep. They got him. But more often than not, those guys are still going to get open. And KJ, KJ's never been really the lateral quick guy. He's always been kind of a straight line speed guy. I'm surprised we haven't seen deep shots to KJ, to Irv Smith, to some of these guys who will surprise you with their straight line speed. What are you doing throwing a screen to Irv Smith? What are you doing doing that? Like, that's my hot take. Like, Irv is never going to juke somebody out of their shorts. What he is going to do is he's going to get a straight line speed and go past a linebacker or safety, and you're not going to be able to catch him downfield. That's at least Philly. And that was when he dropped, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's at least been his game before. So if he doesn't have that anymore, then they don't have a tight end right now. Um, And and they're doing this thing with Johnny Munt and him where they want Johnny Munt to be the blocker, Irv to be the catcher, but then they want them both to be viewed as interchangeable so defenses can't know what they're doing. Yeah. So then when... Like with Thielen in the old days, like Thielen's first year where he mattered, every time he came in, it's like, well, it's a run. Yeah, yep. When he's 22 personnel, he's the other receiver. Exactly, exactly. And so right now with Johnny Munt, they're trying to fight against that where there was the third and one a couple games ago where Johnny Munt dropped it and they kicked a field goal on fourth and one. That's one where they're trying to... Yeah, they're trying to break a tendency, right? They're trying to put the run blocker in on third down and throw to him so the next time they don't just know. Well, the problem yeah. is when you put Irvin and try to run behind him, he gets blown up. Or Johnny drops the pass like he did. These guys yeah. are not interchangeable yeah. right now. And they got a problem right now with that. So I guess... Do you want another tight end at the trade deadline more than a receiver? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Because I just I think Irv right now is not a good blocker. At least he hasn't shown up to be. And I think Johnny's a good blocker, but he's just an H-back, not a really good handsy, you know, receiving tight end mismatch guy. So, and I, I just, I still think Thielen and KJ can get it done. I, I really do. And so I think they still have good three wideouts. And then maybe they can even incorporate Rager somehow uh, as, as, yeah, one of those, as one of those straight line speed guys. I don't know. But um, d- you didn't really answer the question, though. Do, do they have money? Do they have uh, money to spend? No. At the moment, they, <laughs> oh. have, they have no money right now. Uh, as I think I yelled on the podcast last week, no space. That's right. No That's grapes, true. no nuts. 
Um, <laughs> right now, they they don't. And when I say no grapes, no nuts, that's my second uh, office reference of the episode. Michael Scott doing stand-up comedy uh, in all the Rodney Dangerfield voices yelling about something about what's the deal with grape no that was i think it was goes into dangerfield to seinfeld what's the deal with grape nuts no grapes no nuts anyway um they don't have space right now no space um they according to the nfl players association data have one hundred forty-seven thousand dollars in space i don't know that it's quite that low there's this weird thing where like all of these players have an extra if you look at over the caps records which everybody can see and the NFLPA records, which not everyone can see um, the NFL, the NFLPA records have an extra $9,440 for all of these players. This is like weird wonky stuff. But if you see a difference between those two figures, um, some of that is why, because that shows up in a bunch of spots and I, I can quite figure out what that is, but um, they don't have a lot of cap space depending on whichever records you look at. It's not enough to add somebody of any significance. The two ideas I proposed in the thing I wrote this morning, the easy one is to take somebody's contract and convert it to a signing bonus. We've seen them do this a thousand times, at least in recent years. And the guy I think that probably makes the most sense to do that with is Brian O'Neill, a guy that you know is going to be here. He's still signed for another four years. He's got, I think, $24 million in guaranteed money left in his contract as a low base salary this year. So you could convert, I think it's like $3.3 million of that to a signing bonus and then spread that out over the next four years. So you're basically adding 800 and some thousand dollars to your cap each of the next four years, which is not that big of a deal. Um, and that clears probably enough room to go do something at the trade deadline or, or sign a veteran like OBJ or whoever else you might want to go get. Uh, it's at some point during the year, there's probably not a terribly long list of guys that you bring in to, to make that big of a difference, but that is one way to do it. The other idea I threw out there that, and this actually, I think helps for this year and for next year, next year is also a problem. They've got like 200 and something, 210, $220 million of cap commitments already for next year. And they're going to make moves after the season. They're going to have veterans. They either have to cut or restructure um, or it, you know, both those things may happen, but they have to clear space this year. They have to probably clear some space for next year, especially with a Justin Jefferson deal coming. The other idea I threw out is an extension for Dalvin Tomlinson, who Kevin O'Connell praised again yesterday, who has, I think, been really good as a defensive end in the 3-4. He, he has provided, I think, a surprising amount of pass rush through the first six games and it has looked really good against the run. I, I think he's been more consequential in that spot than he was last year as a three technique tackle in Mike Zimmer's defense. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson to a two-year deal with three void years on the back of it. So right now, Dalvin Tomlinson is a free agent after this season, and he's only 28 years old. I would think that'd be a player they'd want to keep. So if you can find a way to do kind of a modest extension, that takes the void years off of the back end of the deal. So the way that this would work, say you end up doing you know, a four-year extension or something like that. And I, I don't think the base salaries would have to be super high, but you give him enough time that those void years basically turn back into hitting the cap every single year rather than $7.5 million from the voids hitting your cap in 2023. You basically take this hit in pieces 
rather than taking it all at once. So you could structure all of this to give him some cash, clear some room this year, clear some room next year when you're going to also need it and lock up a guy that is probably still young enough to keep around. That is, you know, that's a negotiation. Whereas Brian O'Neill, you can basically say, Hey, here's a letter. We're doing this. That's all that it takes. The Brian O'Neill doesn't have to be negotiated with or any other veteran they do this with. You don't have to negotiate. The wording of the Vikings contracts basically says, all we have to do is send you a letter to tell you we are doing this. So um, those kinds of things are easier than a contract extension, but those would be a couple of mechanisms that I could see them using if they wanted to clear space. And they probably need to clear it anyway, not even just at the trade deadline. You may need to do something to sign somebody between now and the end of the year. So I would keep my eyes out for something. And I, those two things I would think would um, be decent candidates to happen. Do they have a hole enough? That's I guess, drastic enough to do that, to, to acquire somebody. I I guess I don't see it. Right. It's not like when they were sitting there, a punt returner going Amir Smith, Marset's not it. (laughs) Um, You know, we really need to trade for Jalen Rager. I just don't see another a hole that's big enough uh, for them to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have to be, I mean, maybe another pass catcher like we're talking about. I could see if you felt like, you, well, a corner is probably not because the hope is probably that Booth is healthy. The hope is that Evans is healthy and one of those guys becomes the answer to add another piece. And really, I think Patrick Peterson's played really well. He had a great day on Sunday and I think Dantzler has been serviceable at least uh, for the most part so maybe it's not that um yeah the, the pass catcher thing i think would be the one but yeah I, I think it's also possible that they could look at it and say we don't need to you know overextend ourselves to go add to this roster especially if there's a belief that you know, this idea of winning on the margins is enough to get them where they want to go or that the 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 privately held belief maybe we're not good enough this year to put ourselves out there so far and and push all our chips in anyway let's just kind of go with what we have win as many games as we can and and uh, keep our cap in as good a shape as we can for the future i'm sure our listeners were able to pick up there on we almost heard mike uh going to the wolves access uh today over at the target center um, he had to host our zoom and I just had a text him while you were talking saying, please mute your mic or <laughs> your phone. We were about to pick up, uh, the wolves head coach, Chris Fitch on there probably, but, um, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, oh, Mike can hear us now. <laughs> we are, uh, we we're touching all the, all the bases on the podcast today. We got basketball and we got football. Uh, we probably got some gophers hot takes three, three jaded alums can probably get into the, the bottle and champagne. We can cover it all. Who needs uh, daily delivery? Let's just do it all right here. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> but Ben, you, you brought up Dalvin Tomlinson. That we had a couple of good questions that I got post game, and one of them was just wondering who the best player on defense has been for them through six games. And Dalvin, I think, has a decent case. He's probably not the answer, but um, who do you think that that answer is? And I think, I to me, it it, it it's probably a toss up. But I guess I would have to go with. Um, Probably the the obvious ones, the Darius Smith, right? Yeah. yeah, that'd be mine. I, um, he's been who, awfully good. Who, yeah, who else? Who else is, would be in contention for that? Well, I mean, Tomlinson certainly would be. Um, I I think I mean, Daniel Hunter probably has gotten a bad rap in spots. He hasn't. 
been quite as, I mean, the sack numbers aren't as high as what we've seen, but he's been around the quarterback more than the sack numbers would suggest. The pressure numbers, and really everybody's pressure numbers on Sunday were really good. But as you pointed out, the Dolphins were missing enough people that you should take that with a grain of salt, probably. Um, Harrison Phillips, I think, has been pretty good. Um, you know, kind of anchoring the middle of that line. They've gotten run on enough that he may not be the answer. I I wouldn't say he's been the best, but like I said, I've been impressed with Patrick Peterson. I, I think there have been a number of plays the last couple of weeks where you just look at it and say, that's the reason this guy is still in the league, because even if he's not running the kind of straight line speed stuff that he used to, he plays really solid technique at that position where some of these breakups have been like, that looks like teach tape of exactly how you'd want to do that. He's not, he, he almost just looks like he's not worried about it where he's in one-on-one coverage. They're testing him. He's like, yeah, fine. I, I know how to play this. I know how to get my leverage. I know how to turn and find the ball and I'm going to play through this guy's hands. And that's going to be that. So I think this has been a good scheme for him. He's been a press man corner a lot of his career. But I have been impressed with how he's looked when he's able to put his eyes on the quarterback. I mean, Sunday, he was kind of baiting Teddy a lot of the second half of that game and had been kind of sitting on a pick and makes it obviously at the spot they needed it pretty badly. So I've I've been impressed with the way he's played. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put him in the conversation as well. Yeah, you're right. And Peterson's one of those guys that got um, a shout out from O'Connell after the game for how he played in, in Miami. And Harrison Smith's responsible for three of their 10 takeaways now yeah. this year, too. And when he's in the game, uh, obviously I had to miss one for the concussion protocol, but he has been also fairly solid for that. Yeah, at I would agree. Times. Um, I think where they need some better play probably is, is at linebacker. I don't, I don't know if they've gotten as good a coverage uh, or tackling from Hicks and Kendricks as we were expecting going into this. Yeah. Hicks had a good day Sunday more as a pass rusher, but there was one play, although I think looking back on it, because I I remember watching it live thinking Kendricks got beat, but it was, I think it was one where Kendricks was basically had a chase to clean up a zone. There may have been a coverage bust. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, it was kind of a, the the play was to the right side of the field and Kendrick's kind of had to chase it. Um, he was kind of delayed in coverage, but I'm trying to remember exactly the context of the play. You may remember it from watching it back as well, but I, I think I looked back on it and I think there was something where he got tested to one side and had to go chase to the other side and almost maybe cover for somebody. And that that's always part of these things too, is, when somebody's getting beat, and I, I had this conversation with one of their veterans in the locker room a couple of weeks ago, of like, um, you may see times where people are getting beat that they're just having to cover for somebody because somebody blows an assignment. So, um, you know, that may happen sometimes on some of these plays. But yeah, I, I would agree that they've been picked on a little bit more in the middle of the field with those linebackers than we would have thought. It, you know, and and they do this too. I mean, they they. <laughs> every time they were able to get uh, Justin Jefferson on, on Quay Walker week one, they're like, yeah, we'll take that. So you're going to see teams do that and try to test them that way, especially when these, when they're in these zones. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree that the, the inside linebackers have been probably a little more of a, um, not a liability, but a, a target for some of these things than we would have thought coming into it. 
Well, and I just, I think there's a reason, right, that coaches are putting a young spry Brian Osamoa into the game to mirror uh, yeah. mobile, mobile quarterbacks as opposed yeah. to their 30, their pair of 30 year old linebackers. Yes. yes. So I just, I wonder if maybe there's some like, you know, change of direction, space stuff that's been lost uh, just with the athleticism over the years and just years of playing football that those guys have on them, the yeah. mileage. Yeah. I mean, it um, is, it is that thing where you see guys, you know, and it, it's players like to kind of say, I'm the same guy I always was, but that that's really the thing is the change of direction stuff is probably because it's years of injuries. It's years of, um, you know, just your, your body gets less uh, flexible as you get older. It just does. I mean, that happens to everybody. It, I, I see this as a runner all the time. I, my, your range of motion just is not as good when you get older. So um, that may be a factor in some of these things a little bit as well. I like the old um, the uh, Vince Carter was asked about, you know, the hardest part about playing in the NBA at his age or whatever. And uh, so he had mentioned something like um, somebody said, must be like dunking, right. Going up there, still being able to get up. And, and he said, no, I could still get up with the best of them. It's landing. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As an old guy now. And I just imagine you an NFL player having to go full speed, one direction and then stop at a dime change and, you yeah. know, your the weight of all your joints feeling. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's hard on your body. I mean, I I see this all the time when I have runners that we're talking about sprinting. I tell them all the time when you are decelerating from sprinting, do not break down right away because that is harder on your body. Now we have that luxury because we're not trying to stop and play coverage. But the reason I tell them that is that that process of breaking down and just slamming on the brakes is really hard on your joints and football players obviously have to do this all the time so yes that that thing of i'm landing and i'm putting a lot of force into the ground when i have to land that way and that's the when you put force into the ground it there's a equal opposite reaction to all of that that force that you're putting in the ground this is this is physics the the ground is is kind of rebounding some of that force and that's going back into your body. So that effects, yes, it does add up over the years. And I think some of those things are where you see it play out is if something, because so many of these plays are, are tenths of seconds that decide it's a step here or there where you go. I mean, you saw it Sunday with Justin Jefferson takes one step on Xavier Howard on the, the 47 yarder to, to stem the route inside. That's all it took to say, he thinks I'm coming inside. I'm going to go back out, hit that wheel route, Adam Thielen throwing the pick, and I'm wide open. So when those things happen that fast and your your body's a little more sore, a little less flexible, um, that can make the difference. Yeah. Um, all right. One more, then we will get out of here for the bye week, uh, and we will come back and talk to you guys before the Vikings play host the Cardinals on October 30th. But we got a question here. Um, from Ryland, he wanted to know um, about why the offense was so conservative and just mentioning that Kirk Cousins is not throwing deep like he used to, and the numbers do back that up. I'd recently looked it up. He's throwing 6% beyond 20 yards. In the yeah. la- each of the last three years, it was over 12%, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. And, I, you know, I think it was Matthew Collar over at Purple Insider had asked Kevin O'Connell about this, and O'Connell had just mentioned, look, you know, you can still gain explosive plays by throwing underneath. And we've done that before and certainly they can, but 
why, yeah, why are they gearing things so short, do you think? And is this a, a matter of Kirk trying to take the comfortable option of the offense? Yeah. Is it a matter of what the offense is doing? And then also I wanted to, before I let you uh, counter, I wanted yeah. to put this quote out of O'Connell, who had mentioned after the game, quote, I have some experience here in Miami where you could end up with a five or six turnover type of day. We wanted to account for a lot of things, maybe play it a little bit more conservative. And as we tried to find our footing offensively. So that at least gives me hope that he's not going to be super conservative all the time, but I guess because of where they were at and who they were playing, they tried to gear it back a little bit. What's he referring to there? Did they, did the Rams go down there and have a bad day? Yeah, I looked it up and the Rams went in 2020 and lost with Jared Goff in Miami where Jared Goff had four turnovers, okay. in game, okay. two, two interceptions and two lost fumbles. So yep, that must they be must, referring to. must have tried some things there a couple of years ago against similar defenders and thought we're going to do things a little bit more conservatively here this time around. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I, I think sometimes it's Kirk probably not because I think they've talked about they want him reading things high to low a little bit more often than he probably has done in the past. And it's certain plays are going to be that certain plays are going to be left to right. But on some of the level stuff that they do where it's, you know, three options to one side, there's a deep, there's a middle, there's a short. He's probably going to ask to read that high to low on those. Um and you need the protection probably for the deep route to develop and you need him to, to, to trust it. I think, um, yeah, I, it's interesting that there hasn't been as much that I, the deep over stuff to Jefferson has kind of gone away, um, which I think is probably a little bit of a concern. They, they may be trying to get to it and just having it taken away from them, but, um, yeah, it, it they've been really conservative. I mean, the, the average depth of target numbers are pretty short. And there have been days that, I mean, I think against the bears, he threw for 290, which I think is as high of the year with a lot of short throws because sometimes they had plenty of space to run after those Sunday, he threw for like 175 yards on 30 attempts. So, um, and really didn't hit anything long other than the, he had like three throws to Jefferson. Everything else was really short. So um, yeah, that is a concern. I think it's probably a a few different things, but it's probably O'Connell learning to find that, that edge and working on that edge as the play caller and maybe Kirk doing the same as a quarterback. We'll have to see how they handle it coming out of the bye week against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, before that game is when we will talk to you guys next. Please make sure you check out startribune.com for all of our work in the meantime, where we will, we will be bringing you daily Vikings coverage from TCO Performance Center. And do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less.